Hello. Okay. I think we are live here now. Let's. Yes, we are. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking podcast. This is episode number 326. And this week I am doing the podcast live. Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> was, um, this has been a really, uh, it's a little bit of a frantic time for me this month because this is crunch time for me on my uh, master's program and I am, I've got a, this 15,000 word essay to write and I, I make it a big deal out of it. It's not like, you know, the end of the world or something. It's just an assignment I need to do, but it's exciting and I'm having a lot of fun with it, but it's also very nail biting and uh, nerve wracking and all of that. And it does consume an awful lot of my time. <laughs> so I was trying yesterday to put this podcast together because this is actually, this whole podcast is, um, a, yeah, no music. Sorry, I just went right to it. Yeah, um, I've got the. I, I was trying to yesterday record this podcast, and what I've run into here, because this is um, this podcast is the direct result of some of, of the work that I've been doing, the research and work that I've been doing, and and personal, you know, as I am want to do, share my personal realizations with you guys about how. Um, Scientology is um, uh, going in and out of my head, out of my, you know, existential framework <laughs> and uh, worldview and that kind of thing, right? And adopting a more, you know, scientific, rigorous approach, which is, I got to tell you guys, is so different from how that we would think about things in Scientology. How, how you think about things when you're in a cult versus how you think about things when you get into a rigorous academic environment could not be more polar opposite. It is, it's so loosey-goosey and anything goes and magical thinking, you know, that's what goes on in cults. And, and it's sort of the world of magic and possibilities and anything could happen today or tomorrow or, or you know, next year or whatever. And you're going to live forever and every dream you ever had is, is possible and all of this sort of very airy-fairy kind of thinking. It, it, none, of, none of that works when you start trying to apply things in the in the in the world of academia and where you have to prove things and show things and and find sources for things and track down why you know where ideas come from and why they are the way they are it's not just about here's fact a b and c but it's all about engaging with how and why and and thinking about the the consequences intended and unintended and all of that so it's it's been um yeah but it is yeah thanks hey hon yeah it is a little stressful so um <clears throat> okay good so people are coming on here so i just wanted to intro that with this you know with this little bit here because yesterday okay so this is a case where i'm doing this live today because this is a case where i've got so many things i want to tell you about and i don't even know where to start <laughs> it's kind of one of those things it's like Oh my God! There's so much to say, and um, and so I'm gonna you know kind of use you guys as a as a feedback loop here, right, through your comments as we go, to uh, kind of uh, help me navigate how to discuss this or talk about this. Because what I want to talk about this week is thought policing. I had some I had some some thoughts. I had some like oh yeah about about thought policing and Scientology and how it is. You know, I've talked about a couple things. There's two things I've said. <clears throat> There's two things I've said about my Scientology experience and about Scientology in general that, um, let me see, is, uh, is one that thought policing is a thing that you learn 
how to police your own thinking so that you don't have to be watched 24-7 to be trusted or known by the Scientology authorities that you're, that you're being a good little boy or girl. Um, you know, there's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a confession surveillance culture. That's what Scientology's world is. It, 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 with anything else you want to say about it, money grab, you know, uh, religious cloaking, abusive cult, a totalist organization, all those things are true. But it's also <laughs> a surveillance confessional culture. And that's, that's uh, a thing. And, and in fact, that's actually kind of the, the theme of my, of my um, paper and my research. So um, I have not watched THX 1138, actually. I know about it, and I've seen parts of it, and I know basically what it's about, but I haven't actually sat and watched the movie. Um, okay, the second thing is that in Scientology, um, in addition to the thought policing, is the fact that I have said many, many, many times, <clears throat> when you are in an extremist headspace, when you have gone all in, when you have given over to a belief set or an individual who represents, you know, or idolizes or idealizes that belief set, a cult leader, a narcissistic, you know, relationship partner, um, some authoritarian figure, the more you give over to that, more you give over of yourself to that, the, the loyalty and the sort of unthinking compliance and, um, and admiration and fervor and all of those those kind of things, the less you're able to critically think on the topic. And I and some of what I wanted to talk about today might explain a little bit of how that works, at least with one specific thing in Scientology. One of the things about um, uh, yeah, it's great to see you guys all live too. Uh, one of the things about Scientology is it's the tremendous number of control mechanisms that exist in it. Um, there's a lot of different ways that Hubbard messes with your head. Uh, there are things called double binds where you are given one, you know, rule A and then you're given rule B or guideline A and guideline B and they clash. They are mutually exclusive and yet both of them are supposed to be true at the same time. And this creates this kind of permanent sort of cognitive dissonance that you're always wondering, well, is it A or is it B? Or it's A here in these circumstances, but it's B in these circumstances, except when it's not. And A does work, but B, you know, it's like it's very confusing. You guys know exactly how this feels when you're in that catch-22 of, well, you know, the devil in the deep blue sea, the, you know, you're, you're trapped. This kind of, this is just one kind of mechanism. And there are probably hundreds of double binds in Scientology. Um, there are, then there is guilt. And that's what, um, yeah, the snitching culture. That's what, that's kind of what I meant by the confession surveillance culture is, is it's that snitching thing. Um, but it's also the justice system, the office of special affairs, the, you know, and what we're going to talk about today, which is overts and withholds and missed withholds. Um, and this is what, let's let's go ahead and start getting into how this thought policing works, because um, you know. But but I wanted to first make the point that that Scientology has a lot of control mechanisms and curves and and, and things, and so um, 
you know, double binds happen to be one of my favorite things to talk about because I, I, I believe that, you know, the, the phenomena of psychosis or insanity that we see in people so frequently, I, I believe that double binds are, the, are at the root of that. Uh, in many, many ways. I think you can break down people's thinking and look at how they get trapped in these loops and these 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 uh, back alleys of thinking, these sort of cul-de-sacs where they get trapped, where they can't think their way out of these things. And that's because of these double binds. And then they act absolutely crazy. Um, in, in an area or in a field, it's not necessarily they act crazy about everything, but they sure act a little nuts about this thing. And, and if you're really wondering what's going on there, it's not universal that everybody's always stuck in a double bind if they're acting crazy. But odds are, if you were to drill down, you'd find something like that down there and um, certainly help the person with that. Okay, now, yeah, disconnection's another one, exactly. Okay, now... With overts and withholds, what these are playing on is guilt. Guilt, 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 guilt. Guilt is powerful. Um, guilt is, um, and how many times do I have to write up my overts and withholds? Hundreds. <laughs> guilt, okay? It's all playing on uh, that emotion or that band of experience or feeling or attitude. It's, it's hard to, I don't know that guilt is 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 just an emotion because it's so social and, and that's the point is that that scientology will play on your conscientiousness your morality your sense of right and wrong and it when it tunes it up in a very very specific ways uh, hubbard has very definite ideas about what is and isn't moral what is ethical and not ethical and he created a set of rules and guidelines and justice codes and a whole justice system to enforce his will. And the definition of ethics in Scientology is quite interesting because when you are in Scientology, you believe that there is nothing better or more holy or more wonderful for people than Scientology. So when you see justice codes that say it is a high crime to publicly disparage or leave Scientology or speak out against it or accuse people of practicing Scientology and this kind of thing, you, you, you read these things and you think, well, nobody would ever do that. That's crazy because you're on this moral plane with L. Ron Hubbard where where Scientology is the ultimate expression of truth and freedom and, um, and, and, and is going to give you, you know, personal spiritual immortality. It's going to ensure your continued survival at a higher quality of life and awareness than, than anything else possibly could. So it represents the ultimate in good. And when you're in that headspace, <laughs> you know, then you get it's a very heady, very powerful, very uh, self-empowering kind of headspace when you feel that you're on the side of righteous justice and, and, and goodness. And of course, that's one of the one of the things that Hubbard uses. And he uses this guilt mechanism that's that's you know so if you if you create this picture of paradise and wonderfulness and and everlasting joy then anything it would make sense to you that anything that would get in the way of that would cut across that would stop that from happening would by definition be a bad or even an evil thing 
that's that's the first thing you have to you get a, you know kind of grok or get your head around with the cult thinking is that is that headspace that people are in when they're in a cult it's not the headspace you or and I are in right now it's a very magical place as i've said right so uh yeah this is really live right now jonathan <laughs> Okay, so I'm, I'm loving the comments as you guys are coming in. Hey, Copenhagen. Um, yeah, it is, Chris. It is two live shows in a row. That's right. Okay. Um, uh, okay, good. Now, this is not a Q&A show, though. I do have some things I'm trying to, I'm trying to communicate here, so we're going to carry on, all right? But thank you very much for the feedback, guys. Um, Okay, so cult thinking, right? So um, so they get in this kind of headspace where Scientology represents the ultimate and good. And Hubbard gives lots of lectures, and I've got some I've got some transcripts here of, of some of them I might pull some quotes from in a minute. Um, where he reinforces, where he creates and reinforces this sort of moral framework of Scientology. And I don't want to use a lot of, you know, big words or, or, or difficult to understand concepts or something, but, you know, it's a structure. It's a way you think about what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, what's good conduct and what's bad conduct. And if you're the guy who can dictate to other people what their morality should be, you own them. You own their, their actions. You control them in, in a way that, that very, other, very few other single things will, will give you as much control over people. And so Hubbard uh, went out of his way starting in 1959 and 1960. That was the time when there was a shift in Scientology with morality. Up, and t up through the whole 1950s, Hubbard was not really on that big of a tear about ethics, morals, overts, and withholds. There was a concept in 1951, 1952-ish of a, of a deserved action and a deserved action explained or something. It's like a dead deadx concept. It was, these, it, was the, it was a weird way of expressing that somebody did something bad or or morally wrong they thought it was wrong and then they got a an a, a, a equally bad thing back at them so there was this like sort of you did a bad thing and then you got it back and it was like this and it was explained in terms of this dead dead x thing uh and it was um not dead as in d-e-a-d -E but dead as in d-e-d -E -D, dead deserved action or so I, I don't remember exactly what that was it what's not super important what is important is that Hubbard was talking about overts and bad actions or immoral acts as early as 1951, but he didn't decide to start enforcing morality on Scientologists in any really significant way until the 1960s. And it's interesting because what I believe prompted that, and others, of course, have conjectured on this as well, is that it was L. Ron Hubbard's son, L. Ron Hubbard Jr., his first son from his first wife with uh, Polly, or not Polly, sorry, with, um, I have it pulled up here. This is uh, uh, Margaret. Yeah, Margaret Louise Grubb. That was Hubbard's first wife. And, um, and his uh, son came and joined him. I think in Phoenix, uh, Arizona, in the early 1950s, to work with him uh, in his Scientology endeavor. And he was, and uh, Ron DeWolf 
uh, is what he is. Originally, it was L. Ron Hubbard Jr. And um, DeWolf is the family name of. Uh, anyway, it's I'm not going to get into Hubbard's whole genie, you know, family history here. Point is that L. Ron Hubbard's son was working with him through the 1950s until he took off in 1959. Late 1959, he left. He blew. And he had been working directly under L. Ron Hubbard. He, in fact, has been credited with having written pieces of the tech, like the TRs. They might have been, or the upper indoctrination TRs, might have been the brainchild of L. Ron Hubbard Jr., not L. Ron Hubbard. So he takes off. Now, the Wikipedia article on him only mentions that um, he quit in 1959 and changed his name to Ronald DeWolf. And uh, there was a lot of back and forth with him over the years after that in terms of claims he made about his father and stuff his father had told him about and had him do. And there's a lot of nasty stuff there. And it's very interesting. Again, not what we're going to be talking about today. But the fact that he left, the fact that he blew, that it was somebody who was it, as close to L. Ron Hubbard's inner circle as you could get, his own blood, flesh and blood, right, his, his, his uh, progeny, his son, disloyal to him in the ultimate expression of disloyalty a public leaving uh and other people took off around that time too there was a little bit of a thing and hubbard reacted very 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 poorly to this and his his reaction as you can guess because hubbard was such a vindictive guy was to start coming down with much harder uh draconian controls over his Scientology following. Because suddenly L. Ron Hubbard realized that anybody all the way up to his own son could be disloyal to him and he might not know what they're up to. And he needs to know what they're up to. He needs to know all about what they're up to if he's going to actually control them. And L. Ron Hubbard was all about controlling people. See, you and I are not. So it's hard for us to get into the headspace where somebody, like, like that's their thing is controlling and managing and running other people's lives to a to a minute detailed degree because you're afraid of all these people because they're going to get one over on you. They're going to be disloyal to you. They're going to get you. And Hubbard had a very black heart, very black soul, and a very guilty conscience. So he knew he was a serial philanderer. He was cheating. He was taking money. I mean, he was defrauding all these people, and he knew it. So his paranoia... All right, all the way up to 11, right? Like things that go on in cults, everything gets revved up to 11. So, um, so, uh, yeah, just checking out here. Yes, exactly. Okay, so Hubbard decides to go to town and he starts, um, what's the word? Exaggerating the importance of the idea of responsibility. In 1959, 1960, responsibility and the state of OT starts becoming a thing. And he's not really talking so much about clear anymore as he's talking about OT. Now, clearing, anyway, that, that's a whole other thing. But clearing was important. But Hubbard started putting new guidelines in place at the beginning of auditing. And he started formalizing the auditing process a lot more intensively around this time period. This is the beginning of the St. Hill Special Briefing Course at St. Hill in England. 
1960, 1961. And, um, and so he's revving up responsibility and this concept of overts and withholds. And, and he gives a lecture series in January 1960 called the State of Man Congress, which is probably the most listened to Congress in all of Scientology. Um, it's like six or seven lectures, L. Ron Hubbard pontificating on morality and on how if you do bad things to people and you know it, you've been a bad boy or a bad girl, that's going to stop you from going clear and going OT because you're stopping yourself, he says. You can't go to OT or you can't get to clear with a guilty conscience. Of course, L. Ron Hubbard would know, but uh, you know we're, we're, nobody was uh, critically examining him that way. So he really started coming down like a ton of bricks on this concept of being a pure, a morally pure and upright person. And it wasn't about Hubbard was interesting because he would he would put this out there and frame it as though it was the opposite of what the Catholics were doing or the or organized religion does. He, he just lambasted them in the same lectures that he's breaking down and laying out Scientology's new codes of morality and how Scientologists need to be good group members first and uh, good Scientologists, right? And that's how you be a good Scientologist is you be a good group member. And that emphasis is important. Uh, all through, oh, wow. Hey, thank you, Couch, for that super chat. Very appreciated. Um, yes, Scientology does have approved ways of phrasing things. Yes, the language in Scientology is very specific. Um, and as far as, uh, like I said, this isn't a Q&A. I can't get off into, into, into big questions that are off topic for this uh, podcast. I want to stay focused on this particular topic. So if I don't answer your uh, questions, um, that's why. Okay. But, um, oh, that's interesting. One second. <sighs> Hits the spot. Okay. So Hubbard starts breaking down this moral codes, moral systems. And there's a lecture actually called Moral Codes, What is a Withhold? What's a withhold? What, you know, what, what does it mean? What does it mean in Scientology to have a withhold? What is an overt? Okay, these are important terms in Scientology. In fact, probably some of the most important terms that Scientology has. Um, an overt act in Scientology is any action or is any omission or commission, any act of omission or commission, you did it or you didn't do something, that causes the greatest harm to the greatest number of people. And it's a spectrum sort of thinking where, you know, you can have big overts and you can have little overts. It, Hubbard said it's not really that important to how you audit them um, because overts are kind of overts. It depends on the person and his individual point of view. But you can certainly, you know, it, it certainly would be true that poisoning uh, you know, the water supply of a small town would be a significantly larger overt than, you know, running up and pinching somebody, you know, on, in the bum or something, right? I mean, that's a little bit silly. So overts are not, all overts don't equal all overts in terms of magnitude, but all overts must have some degree of harm connected with them. You are hurting people. You are countering their survival. Hubbard was all about survival. 
everything was framed in terms of survival and Scientology. So, excuse me. So, um, so overt acts are things you do that get in the way of somebody else's survival. Withholds are when you withhold them. Uh, however, what Hubbard goes to great lengths to clarify in these lectures is that it's really all about the group, see? It's all about group survival. And everything is looked at in terms of what is good for the group and the group's continued existence. And all morality is defined by what the group needs and wants. So what you think as an individual, Hubbard would say, yeah, sure, of course, very important, but not really. Because the, the whole framework of Scientology ethics and morality is your position as a cog in the wheel of the Scientology machine. And if you're not operating in goods, it's sort of like a Swiss watch, if you're not in tune with the rest of the group and operating in alignment with that group, then you're a squeaky wheel. You're something that sticks out. You're committing overts. You're doing something that is impeding the forward motion and progress of the group. And the group's survival is all. And your survival is only really as important as you're contributing to the group's survival. This, these are, these are uh, what I'm describing here is at least my interpretation of what I read and uh, listened to from L. Ron Hubbard and how he describes his sort of moral framework. So it's all about groups and, um, and your value to the group. And the group's value to you is as much as your value to the group. So the assumption, and this is, see, this was something that bit me hard very early on and kept me in Scientology for a long time, was this idea that I was going to give and give and give and give to the group, and the group would give back to me in equal amounts. And that's the part that never happened. See, Hubbard sets up a system where you believe you're going to get something back and you never really do. And you just give and give and give more of yourself because that's the ethical thing to do. So this is powerful stuff. This ethics stuff is not just some background material on Scientology. This is, this is hardcore indoctrination. This is very basic indoctrination in Scientology to get all the Scientologists on the same page that they are part of a group and the group is all. And they are only um, as important or as valuable to the group as they are contributing to the group. And it's just sort of implied or assumed that, of course, the group is going to contribute back to them. And when it doesn't, here come all these other mechanisms, the overts and the withholds and the missed withholds and the sec checking and the KRs and the, and the OW write-ups and these things that we talk about all the time. These are the enforcement mechanisms to get you back into that headspace that the group is all and you are only as important as you are contributing to the group. This is, this is, you know, I think you guys understand where I'm coming from on this. This is really important stuff. So, um, yeah, exactly. Um, and exactly, it's, it is very Borg-like. It's a very hive mind kind of thinking at its base. But Hubbard, but the tricky thing 
is the way Hubbard frames it and talks about it is all in terms of the individual. So he's he's sort of selling everybody through these lectures and through his writings on the idea that the only way for you personally and individually to make it, to survive and, and make it as a Scientologist, is to comply with the group and L. Ron Hubbard's intentions. And this was, a, of course, you can see this is a direct a response to a bunch of people, including his own son, saying, hey, fuck you, L. Ron Hubbard. We're not so impressed by you and your morality and your frameworks and your Dianetics and your clears that never manifest and OT, which seems to be this fantasy and all this rigorous crap that we're doing isn't really getting us the goals that you say we will get. So screw you. And he goes, screw me. No, screw you. I'm going to show you guys. And he puts this whole system in place to retain people. This isn't, see, one of the things about brainwashing that's so interesting is it's not about getting new people in so much as it's about retaining existing members, um, which is kind of interesting. But, uh, okay, so overts, withholds, and missed withholds. And it's the missed withholds part that I haven't gotten to yet that's the most important part of this whole picture. So guilt is a powerful motivator, as we all know. It's a powerful influencer. I can leverage you with guilt and I can make you feel bad for you're not contributing enough or you did a bad thing and so you have to make up for it. In other words, it's tit for tat. It's that basic life equation of if we're out of exchange, if we're out of whack, if I've done something to you, you need to be able to do something back to me to even the score, but, you know, to bring balance, yin-yang. I mean, this is really fundamental thinking to how we look at at you know what is justice and balance so it's all about leveraging that guilt that feeling that there must be balance by creating a situation where you're constantly unbalanced where you as an individual scientologist can never be in parity with scientology because look at scientology it's the most important thing in the universe it is more it is the one thing hubbard says that is senior to all of life itself scientology actually is more important than life itself because it explains all of life hubbard says which of course it doesn't do at all but he says that so he's literally creating a subject matter, a, 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 a thing that he says is way more important than you ever will be as an individual. So your value and worth is determined by how much you contribute to this thing. And Scientologists, one for one for one, buy into this. This is a very, very powerful motivator. And, you can, and every time they start having doubts or they start having second thoughts, or they start wanting to go off and do something of their own, even if something as mild as going off to bowling or going to the horse races or something. Hubbard made direct uh, examples of these things, these kind of social activities that people go get involved in, as other fish to fry, quote-unquote. You know, they're off doing other things that aren't Scientology, and that's bad. That's wrong. They should be dedicated and focused only on Scientology and this going to the bowling or horse races or, or off, you know, in some old women's sewing circle and this kind of stuff is uh, exactly the kind of thing that is, that, is, that is pushing you further into the mud. 
this is an expression Hubbard used all the time, getting pushed into the mud, getting suppressed. You know, you're doing that to yourself when you are not doing Scientology. Okay, so the number one way that Hubbard would leverage this guilt mechanism is by claiming, by exaggerating the importance, uh, really grossly exaggerating the importance of these incidents in time that Hubbard labeled missed withholds. Okay, so let's go ahead and get to that because this is the sort of the, at the heart of the whole thing. Um, a missed withhold. Okay, so you do a bad thing. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Joe's, you know, hits Bill. And um, so now Joe has committed an overt against Bill. And maybe Joe and Bill are um, brothers. And so mom comes along and Joe doesn't tell mom that he hit Bill. And Bill doesn't tell, you know, either. But, um, but Joe's the one who committed the overt. So Joe now has a withhold. He's not telling mom and he doesn't want to tell mom about this overt that he committed because he knows that there will be trouble and he will get in, you know, <clears throat> he'll get punished. So he's got a withhold. Very simple. You go, you know, you go sit down and write up the overt or you go into a sec check and you confess the overt or you go to your mom and you confess the overt and you no longer have that withhold anymore, right? No big deal because you're not withholding it anymore. So that's pretty simple. That's that anybody can see. Missed withholds are the trickier part. Missed withholds are not an overt and they are not when somebody could have found out it's it's actually it's a little different. A missed withhold is when somebody almost finds out about what you did, but they don't really find out. They make you wonder whether or not they know. With the case examples are best for this. So let's say Joe hits Bill, right? And then he withholds it. Let's say at dinner that night they're sitting there with mom and dad and Joe and Bill are at the table and Joe's not talking and neither is Bill. And mom looks over at Joe and says to him, hey, how'd you, got, how'd you get along with Bill today? How'd it go today? Hey, did, you, did you and Bill have fun? And this makes Joe wonder, this question, an innocent question. Mom does not know about the over. But this question sparks a, 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 a curiosity, a, a wondering <clears throat> in Joe, does she know? That I hit Bill. Did Bill tell her and now she's trying to get me to confess? Because he's got a guilty conscience. He knows that he did something bad and he knows mom should know about it, but mom doesn't know about it, but maybe she does. Maybe, yeah, maybe she doesn't. I can't tell. That question isn't enough knowledge for me to tell whether mom knows or not. So it sets up this sort of, oh my God, does she know or not? Now, all of us have experienced this, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> um, Excuse me. Huh. All right. Um, so the missed part is the part where they're wondering, is where somebody does something that makes you wonder whether or not they know about your overt. Now, it's kind of funny. Hubbard gives um, really bizarre examples uh, in his lectures, and it's interesting how misogynistic they always are. I wanted to see if I could find this one. Um, 
because he talks about a girl, a woman, and a dog. Well, I won't spend a long time looking for this, but um, Hubbard gives an example in here of a woman having sex with a dog. And then a guy comes over for dinner and uh, looks at the dog and looks at her and has this smile on his face and goes, boy, you must really love dogs. And he's not messing with her, but she's obviously immediately wondering if he is, right? Oh, my God, does he know? Does he know? Does he not know? Okay, so that kind of spinny thing, that's the mist withhold. Anytime anybody does anything to you or toward you that makes you wonder whether or not they know, that's when they miss your withhold. That's what it's called. They're missing your withhold. And missed withholds, Hubbard goes way out of his way to exaggerate the importance of those moments in time. All of us have guilty consciences about this, that, and the other thing. And when people remind us covertly or subconsciously or whatever of our overts, of our bad guilty conscience, we have those dull moments. But Hubbard goes on a roll about this. And says that missed withholds are the single cause of every upset you've ever had in or out of a Scientology auditing session, as well as a number of other things that, um, well, I'm going to, I actually pulled up the issue here. Um, he talks here about, and this is again from the 1960s. He's, there's a lot of technical jargon here I'm going to skip over, but basically he says that you have in Scientology, you guys have heard me talk about ARC breaks, and uh, those are kind of like personal upsets, a break in affinity reality or communication, right, or understanding. It's things where you have a personal upset or, or um, issue with somebody else or something else, your ARC broken. Well, Hubbard said all of those upsets, every upset you've ever had with anybody over anything ever, had a missed withhold as the basis of that upset, not an ARC break. You don't really have the right in Scientology to have an ARC break with somebody because all it indicates is your overts. All ARC breaks stem from missed withholds. There are no ARC breaks when missed withholds have been cleaned up. Now, this is encapsulated. This, this basic idea I'm going to elaborate on, but this basic idea is crucial to understanding Scientologists and understanding how Hubbard controls them. Because right here, he is saying any personal upset you have, any issue you have, any anger, antagonism, ups, you know, sadness, anything like that that you have with another Scientologist, with the organization, with an auditor, with L. Ron Hubbard, with anything, only comes from your own missed withholds. So you don't really have the right to be ARC broken in Scientology. You don't have the right to be upset with the organization or with L. Ron Hubbard or with other Scientologists because it's just your missed withholds. And if you think, how much mileage or traction could you really get with that? You can get all the traction with it. You can get all the mileage you could ever imagine out of that because remember... People have guilty consciences. All of us do. We've all done bad things, and we all know it. <laughs> and so it's a perfect, evergreen, always usable mechanism of control. Guilt and leveraging guilt will always work.
if you know how to do it. And laying down this kind of thing, these kind of, of ideas, that there are no ARC breaks when, when missed withholds have been cleaned up. If you can get if you can convince people that that's true, which it's not, but if you can convince them it's true, the world's your oyster, man. You have unlimited guilt leveraging potential at your disposal. And here are some of the manifestations that are asked that are handled by asking for and getting the correct missed withhold. Now, we'll talk about how you would go about getting missed withholds in a second, but here are the manifestations. There are 15 different manifestations that L. Ron Hubbard describes, all caused by missed withholds. So if this is happening, it's because of your missed withholds, which means it's because of your, at the basic of that, is an overt, some moral transgression on your part. And remember, Hubbard was big on setting up this framework where your overts are group-oriented, are, are against the group itself. Those are the most significant, biggest overts you can commit, are against Scientology itself or against the organizations or against individual Scientology authority figures. Those are the most important overts uh, because they are group-oriented. And if this group, Scientology, doesn't last, doesn't survive, you're not going to last or survive as a spiritual being. So you're dooming yourself through your overts against Scientology. Well, what kind of things are manifested when you are committing overts and have missed withholds, have accumulated you know, people missing your withholds? Here are, this is all in relation to Scientology auditing. Uh, Hubbard talks about this in the framework, or the context rather, of a Scientology auditing session. But Scientologists apply this information outside of auditing sessions too. So here he's talking about the PC, uh, the preclear, the person who's being audited. Here are 15 things that will happen. One, PC failing to make progress. How's that for a broad generality? You're not making progress in Scientology? You're not making progress in your auditing? You have missed withholds. We better clean them up. PC critical of or angry at auditor. So here you are at a session or in life, and you're critical. You're, 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 criti you're criticizing, you're carping, you're, you're complaining. That's being critical in Scientology. Or you're angry at the auditor. If you're angry or you're critical, it is a missed withhold 100% of the time. Not 99% of the time. 100% of the time. So if you're upset, if you're complaining, if you're fault-finding, if, if you think the Scientology organizations or auditors or people have done something to you that is unjust, wrong, and you're angry about it, 100% of the time, it's because of your missed withholds. Again, this is powerful stuff. I mean, you might look at that and think, that's nuts. It is nuts. But Scientologists accept that as an absolutely true thing. I did for years. We'll get to the effects of what this does to you in a minute. I just want to lay this out here first. Um, okay. Excuse me. 
Uh, okay, you guys' comments are hilarious. I, I'm not going to talk about the hard Christmas right now, guys. <laughs> okay. Um, number three, PC refusing to talk to auditor. Oh, you won't talk? It's because of your missed withholds. Um, PC attempting to leave session. If you get up in an auditing session and want to leave, or, and we'll get to even more, like you want to leave Scientology in whole, it's because of your missed withholds. It's not because of anything else. It's because of your missed withholds. Uh, PC not desirous of being audited or anybody not desirous of being audited. Oh, you don't want auditing? It's because of your missed withholds. 100% of the time. PC boiling off. Now, this is an interesting one because this means in session you actually start going unconscious or falling asleep or just dozing off. And if that happens in a session, it must be because of your missed withholds. PC exhausted. <laughs> oh, you're tired of giving up all these withholds? It must be because you have more withholds. <laughs> um, PC feeling foggy at session end. Okay, so you got to the end of the session. You're like, oh, I don't feel good. I'm feeling a little out of it, feeling kind of foggy. Must have missed a withhold. Let's find out what it is. Uh, okay, there's dropped having this, which is a pure Scientology invention. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, PC telling others the auditor is no good. So the auditor finds out one day that his PC is running around telling people that the auditor sucks. Missed withholds. PC demanding redress of wrongs. PC demanding redress of wrongs. Anyone, anywhere, ever accusing a Scientology auditor of wronging him, of doing something bad, harmful, ill-advised, well, clearly this preclear has missed withholds. See, it's not the auditor. It's the preclear. PC critical of organizations or staff. Missed withholds. People critical of the uh, technology. Lack of auditing results. Oh, you're not getting any results in your auditing? Well, it must be because of all of your missed withholds. You've got moral transgressions you haven't gotten off, son. You better get in there and start confessing because you're not going to get any results in auditing until you do. And finally, PC unwilling to tell others about auditing. So, you don't want to talk about your auditing? You don't want to tell other people how great Scientology is? Oh, must be your missed withholds. Yeah, it's that nuts. Okay, I, I hope I'm getting this across. In short, the bottom of ARC breaks is a missed withhold. Um... ARC breaks don't cause blows, sudden inexplicable departures. Missed withholds do. See, Hubbard's basically providing a, a, a justification, a rationale here to do anything you want to to a preclear. And if they complain, fault find, are critical, don't want more auditing, don't want to talk to you, are feeling exhausted, are trying to leave, it's because of their missed withholds only. And when you're in this situation, and you don't necessarily buy into it right away, <laughs> they're going to keep on you about this until you do. 
And the really tricky, insidious, horrible part about this is everything I've just laid out for you here is exactly what L. Ron Hubbard says. I'm reading from the scriptures. He applies this as though this is 100% universally true 100% of the time, which it's not. But the way that it hooks into Scientologists and gets, and that they buy into this is the psychological reality that when you give over, when you confess to something that has been on your conscience that is causing you, uh, you know, to feel bad, you do feel better. <laughs> Honesty is the best policy. And when you confess to somebody who is uh, listening to you, is, is compassionate, is tolerant, is empathetic, then it feels good. You know, and you feel so much relief from getting, you know, from unloading, unburdening yourself, that all those earlier upsets or those earlier, you know, resistance to giving off that overt or giving up that, you know, giving that confession, doesn't seem like a big deal anymore. You know, it's like, oh, I'm so relieved now, right? That it sort of bypasses all that other stuff earlier and you don't stop and think, well, wait a minute, he locked me in this room and forced me to, to tell him this. Is this really something I gave over freely and of my own free will? Or is this something I was forced into? You don't really think about that because the relief of having told somebody makes you feel like, oh, I guess everything Hubbard said was right. And so therefore, I am full of shit. And uh, the next time I start feeling critical or upset or that I want to leave, it's just my missed withhold, see? And that's kind of how you end up getting hooked into this and buying this is it's right on the edge of something that is true, which is, you know, the guilty conscience and the relief that we experience when we give that up. So it's not true that every time you want to leave or every time you're upset with somebody or every time there's a difficulty, it's because of your missed withholds. But Hubbard can get away with saying that and give enough little instances of times where a person feels some relief, which is a perfectly normal, organic, psychological response to getting off you know, a, a, a moral transgression. He takes advantage of that to leverage that guilt in the future, to keep it there as a mechanism so he can always leverage that against you, so he can always control you with your guilt. I hope I, hope I am um, making sense here with all of this. Um, cause these are very, these are very tricky things. It's, you know, this is one of those very, very powerful mechanisms cause it's so closely aligned with true things. And those are the most powerful kind. It's, you know, when you're just making stuff up at a, at a whole cloth, it doesn't have the same kind of power as when you can, as when you can take something that is true and just throw a curve into it. And this thing about missed withholds is probably one of the best examples of that in Scientology. Now, over time, of course, what ends up happening with this, between these two sort of things that Hubbard has created, this, this moral framework that the group is all and that your overts are determined by your value and actions to the group, that's on one end, and then you have this exaggerated importance on missed withholds. And that whole list of the 15 manifestations of missed withholds. So, if, so, so what happens is if you accept this as true, if you believe this to be true, then 
you start policing your own thinking. Oh, every time I'm critical, that means I've got a missed withhold, which means it's my own overts. Oh, well, that means every single time I ever have a critical thought about anything, it's my own overts. That's all. So I shouldn't be critical. I shouldn't have critical thoughts. I shouldn't be paying a whole lot of critical attention to Scientology. I should just be doing Scientology and learning Scientology and complying with Scientology. Because Scientology has my best interests at heart, of course, and L. Ron Hubbard would never lie to me. So anytime I'm finding fault with the organization or having a problem with it, I guess that means that that's just on me. That's my problem. That's my issue. That's not the church. That's me. Oh, hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Why are you nattering, right? Anytime you natter, anytime. And natter is a term in Scientology for critical complaining or fault finding. Oh, he's nattering. Well, you can't natter in Scientology. Anytime you're found nattering, ah, you have miswitholds. You better go right up your overts. And this is why in Scientology sec checking and confessionals, they actually go out of their way to pull every instance when somebody missed the withhold too. Not just what did you do and when did you do it and how did you do it, but who almost found out about it? Who missed it? And what did they do to make you wonder whether or not they knew? I mean, Hubbard incorporated this into every level of Scientology. So it's an integral part of the auditing process to reinforce this, this stupid idea that every time somebody misses your withhold, that's really important. That's a very, very important event in your life because it's causing you to be critical and want to leave and be out of sorts with people and, and have ARC breaks with them and not make progress in your auditing. I mean, look at how powerful this mechanism is. It's a, it's, it's a similar altered importance. It's a similar exaggerated importance to when Hubbard says over in the area of study that a misunderstood word is the life and death of your ability to understand something, right? He says, if you don't understand the words, you'll never understand the tune, and therefore you'll never understand anything. So it's all about understanding each individual word. Well, true enough, you should understand the words you're reading, but that's not how you teach people things. <laughs> and so it's just a grossly exaggerated, false piece of information entered into the middle of something that's really very important, which is study. Over here on this part, we're talking about morality. So here we take a similar true thing, exaggerate the hell out of it, and then use that to control people, okay? And this business of going, of this, of the, of the leveraging the guilt, here's the genius of this, is Leveraging guilt is a, is a control mechanism, but what if you can get people to leverage their own guilt against themselves? That's what this is. Because it sets up a mechanism in your mind, and this is, the where, this is where I lived for decades. Ever since I was a kid is when I started learning about this. This was pre-staff, pre-Sea Org. This was really heavy indoctrination in Scientology as a kid I got that lasted for years. I mean, a, real, a very long time. And that is that um, overts are important, withholds are important, and missed withholds are the lifeblood of your ethical understanding of life. And so, um, so, so I was thought policing myself from a very young age. 
because if I felt critical or upset or, you know, whatever, it was back on me. It was always a mirror. And what this does is it opens the door for you to become basically everybody's walking mat. I mean, the people just walk all over you all the time because you don't fight back. And why don't you fight back? Because you think that every time you have a problem with somebody else, it's because of you. It's because it's, it, oh, it's my missed withholds. It's my overts. And so it, you just set up a, a, a situation where it's constant. You're on a constant reflexive. Everything is coming back to you. Does that make I, I hope that makes sense, right? Like everything that you, every bad thing that happens or um, every bad I thought or idea you're having, it's all coming back to you. And then when you combine this with the third piece of indoctrination in Scientology, which is that you are always responsible for your own condition. It is never somebody else's fault what situation you're in. You're the one who caused it. You're the one who brought it about. Therefore, you're the one who's responsible for it. You put all those three things together, and you've got a, a, a total recipe for introversion, anxiety, depression, because everything comes back on you. Right? And nothing is on the group. Excuse me, one second. There we go. I just had a little liquid spill there. So that's how that control mechanism works in a nutshell. I mean, I think I've I think I've gone through all the details of it enough that you guys get what I'm talking about, right? Um, yeah, yeah, Dorte, you say here, missed withholds and withholds equals don't be banky. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. I grew up with the, with this expression, don't be banky, right? Stop dramatizing. So the other, that of course also brings in the other control mechanism Hubbard uses, which is the reactive mind. That's kind of a whole other thing. It also enters into this whole picture, but that's a separate thing. This I really wanted to harp on with this episode was this thing of missed withholds because it was the thing that created this sort of machine in my mind where this sort of filter, cognitive bias, I guess you could say, where everything, every time I was critical, every time I was upset with somebody, every time I had a problem or issue, I was pushing it back on me. And that is exactly what L. Ron Hubbard wanted. He didn't want anybody ever criticizing him or his subject. And this is the mechanism he created in order to ensure compliance with that. And, if, and Scientologists are forced to get in line on this. This is not an optional belief in Scientology. If you don't go for overt's withholds and missed withholds and, the, and all the confession culture that comes from that, this, in, this incessant need to confess your overt's, and, and what this leads to, of course, is this sort of open book transparency where you're constantly oversharing. And, um, it, you know, in session, out of session, you're just, you're an open book. And as far as the organization is concerned, as far as the ethics officers of Scientology are concerned, you better be an open book. Because if you're not, well, look at all this L. Ron Hubbard here that says that you're a bad Scientologist. You're a bad group member. You're not going to make it to clear an OT if you don't confess. And that's the power that they hold over each individual Scientologist.
And so over time, see, when you add time to this, years of time, the thinking that develops and the, and, the, and the mechanisms that develop in your brain as a result of this are all about, you know, it, it, again, it leads to anxiety, depression, introversion, um, and, and a lot of other, you know, nasty things that go along with all of that. Um, okay, so that's what I can say about that. Interesting question, Limited Light. Uh, but aren't some of these ideas coming from other places as well, such as libertarianism? Uh, which idea? Yeah, I think you'll have to clarify that for me because um, I'm not sure which ideas you're referring to. I have never heard of withholds in libertarianism, or uh, and I don't think libertarianism is a confession culture, so I'm not quite sure what you're asking there. Um, yeah, roller coastering. That's right. More PTSness. See, and this is great because you guys are actually adding on here the other control mechanisms that Scientology piles on top of this: PTSness, uh, mis you know, m misunderstood words. Um, uh, uh, your TRs are out. <laughs> your you have a reactive mind. Body thetans. Your OT case. I mean, there's so many layers of, of crap that they throw on you. Um, but this miswithhold one was a pretty powerful one. So I, so I thought I would highlight that and uh, try to lay out for you um, why it is that it's so insidious. You know, it, it's the insidiousness of this one that really gives it its power. It's that, it's that guilt leveraging bit, you know. So... Um, all right, so that's what I wanted to say about all of that. I think based on the comments and stuff, you guys have been, uh, this has been coming across pretty well. And uh, and I think I'm getting my points across. So, um, oh yes, finally, of course, this leads to my final conclusion on this, which is that in an effort to stop all criticism of him, of himself and his group, Hubbard created this this thing that shuts down critical thinking because if it's all about your missed withholds if it's all about your moral transgressions then you will never direct your attention out to the subject or the auditor or l ron hubbard and be critical of them it's it's a crime i've said so many times that critic the word critical is a crime in scientology that they make critical thinking into a crime this is how they do it. What I've described here today is the exact way that that happens. And, um, and so on this particular uh, thing, um, you are trained out of critical thinking very, very carefully. <laughs> um, and I don't know that Hubbard, I don't know that he did or didn't um, know what he was doing, you know, but it worked. And that's what's important. Um, oh, the such as your situation is all within your control. Yeah, I mean, Hubbard's not the only person to have ever insisted that you're responsible for your own condition. I just want to make sure that you understand that that means a three-year-old is responsible for being born with MS. You know, this is a this is Hubbard's ideas of responsibility are very all-consuming, and include the idea that you are responsible for people accidents that happened on a road in a country you've never been in on the other side of the world. I mean, he, he says something like that in one of his early publications on this. Hubbard's ideas of responsibility are whack, and he he asserts that you are 
able to be at cause over matter, energy, space, time, life, and form. And that's everything, which basically means you're God. And uh, that is not at all the case with human beings. We are not God. But Hubbard claims that we are, and he assigns that level of a responsibility to each of us as individuals and insists that we approach our life from that point of view. So I don't know that that's totally duplicated in libertarianism to that degree. Um, if it is, then I think libertarian has some libertarianism has some problems too. But I've never um, I've never heard of that before. So that's what I can say about that. All right. Um, yes, I was just yeah, exactly. Like karma. I mean, this is this is you know this is not at all unique to Scientology, by the way, guys. Victim blaming and and oh, you know, exaggerated ideas of personal responsibility and um, exaggerated mechanisms of of guilt leveraging and control. This, this is not at all unique to Scientology, but because L. Ron Hubbard made it such a science, I mean, wrote down all these different things about it, and, and I just read 15 manifestations. There are pages and pages and pages of documentation in Scientology about what missed withholds are, how to pull them, why they're important, what they do to you. I mean, this goes on and on and on. Um, so it's not, again, not a small, not a small thing at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about my uh, my spilling my soda there. Okay, so that's what I wanted to say this week. That's what I wanted to get across in this podcast, and you guys helped me do it. So thank you for that. Um, I hope that this sheds some light uh, on why I the the power of of Scientology and the power of what destructive cults can do to your thinking. You know, it's it, we tend to focus on the oddball. And weird beliefs, Xenu, body things, um, you know, crosses, occult, um, you know, God, the devil, you know, this, that, the other thing. The, the beliefs are really secondary when we're looking at cults. We're looking at control mechanisms, and if you can, and if you can, kind of frame how you look at these groups that way through that lens. Rather than the kooky beliefs, ha, 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 kooky belief, ha, 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 that's so stupid. That is not helpful to understanding or solving cults. From time immemorial until eternity ends, people are going to think weird, stupid stuff you think is dumb. <laughs> that's never going to end. We don't have to abuse each other about those weird, kooky beliefs, though. And that's where the culty stuff comes in. So I got to highlight that. Got to um, put some importance on that. Yes, Limited Light. Thank you for clarifying that. I, I didn't think so. Because, um, yeah, because I've, I've never seen a political ideology uh, manifest um, some of the ideas Scientology has to the degree that they manifest them. And that's very important. Um, cause it can, cause as you did limited light, you know, you can confuse the two and you can think, oh, well that sounds libertarian. No, it's, it's definitely not that, um, Hubbard had libertarian kind of leanings ideologically, but that's not what I'm talking about here today. So thanks for bringing that up. That's a, that's a great clarification. Um, oh, this is good. 
Aaron's number one fanboy. Scientology is a force for good in many ways. Does it have its faults? Yes, of course. But to say it's all bad isn't the right answer. Well, okay. I don't know that I'm saying all of Scientology is bad, but when I explain, you know, this kind of a control mechanism and the drastically awful effects it has... I mean, this was onion layer stuff for me. This was stuff, you know, for you guys who have been following me for a while, this is core stuff. This is really, really deep level stuff because this did not affect just my Scientology existence. This affected every part of my life and every single interaction I had with anybody. It's really, really core stuff. Okay, so... Um, yeah, there you go. So we do, we do police our thoughts every day, but how we go about doing that and what rules we use to do that, we should probably give ourselves a break. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with thinking or contemplating anything you want. It's what you do with it that matters. Um, and it's something to, something to think about a little bit there. All right, guys. So all of that being said, thanks very much for tuning in and catching this one live. I hope that this was uh, informative, educational, and Maybe possibly a little entertaining, I hope. Uh, and I hope that you guys will support the channel. And as we move forward, uh, rolling into 2022, I hope for a lot more of this kind of content and a lot more uh, uh, stuff for you guys. So with that all being said, let's go ahead and wrap up. And uh, we will have a regular pre-recorded Q&A show tomorrow. I got to have to shoot that after I get done with this here. And, um, and carry on from there. All right, guys. Um, Yes, we can definitely discuss some of this further in the future. Absolutely. This was just on this topic. All right, guys, let's go ahead and wrap it up for today. Bye-bye.